Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, U.S. and North Korean relations, we are joined by Jonathan Granoff, who is president of the Global Security Institute. Granoff is an international lawyer and former professor of international law and serves as a senior advisor and special representative to the United Nations for the permanent secretariat of the World Summit of Nobel Peace Laureates. He is the chair of the Task Force on Nuclear Nonproliferation of the International Law Section of the American Bar Association and ambassador for peace and security of the Parliament of the World's Religions. He serves on numerous advisory and governing boards such as the NGO Committee on Disarmament, Peace, and Security at the UN Lawyers Committee on Nuclear Policy, Middle Powers Initiative, Parliamentarians for Nuclear Nonproliferation and Disarmament, and the Jane Goodall Institute. He is a fellow in the World Academy of Arts and Sciences and recipient of numerous awards. Jonathan Granoff, I could keep going with your biography. Welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. I think it's great what you do. The, most, of the, most of the media... Uh, sort of dumbed down complex issues where you actually seem to unpack them. And this is really important. Well, we will try. And there's hardly an issue that has been more dumbed down than uh, U.S.-North Korean relations. Uh, it, it seems that, especially in, in U.S. media, you just get the the perspective of the U.S. government. Uh, whereas if you're if if something's going to be negotiated, it requires that each side try to see the other side's perspective. Um, what what do you think the current crisis looks like from the North Korean government? They're completely terrified. They uh, we we recently sent uh, some uh, strategic bombers very close to their borders. B one B uh, bombers can carry nuclear weapons. We continue to have military exercises with uh, tens of thousands of troops on their border. Our president has uh, insulted their president, uh, calling him Rocket Man, which if you know anything about Asian culture, it's, it's, it's very, very disgraceful to disgrace, uh, to disgrace others publicly in that manner. They have reciprocated knowingly they have reciprocated by insulting our head of state. It, the, 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 uh, the level of rhetoric has descended to um, despicable trash talk like, a, like, like basketball players. Maybe it's because the only person who seems to be friendly with heads of state of both countries is Dennis Rodman. Um, so they're very afraid. They're, the Korean War has not ended. Uh, we're in an armistice, so the war has not ended. They've been asking for uh, an end of that of of that war. They their memory is um, their memory of the Korean War is still very alive there. You have to realize that about uh, about twenty percent of the country was killed. All of its major cities were leveled, and uh, so they have a victims mentality. They've been isolated from the international community. So they uh, they feel very threatened for and they feel threatened reasonably. There's reason for them to to feel threatened. They are run by a small cadre of the Kim family uh, that uh, that is tyrannical and brutal. They have had uh, food shortages. 
so their domestic stability is uncertain, and they have no real allies. Their economy is weak, and we have a president and a secretary of state who are uh, speaking inconsistently, which leads them to be even more afraid. So that's what I think it looks like from their perspective. And what does that mean that they want? They want the threats to stop and the name-calling to stop and everything will be okay? Well, it's not just name-calling. I mean, uh, they, want, uh, they want some form of non-aggression treaty, something that clarifies that we will not invade them, which they would reciprocate. They want to normalize relations. Can, can we clarify for, for just for those of us who think of ourselves as humanity rather than as the U.S. military, that w- what you mean is that the U.S. military not invade them? Right. Oh, right. When, well, when, when you use the first I mean, person, you're not speaking for one of your wonderful organizations. You're speaking for the, huh. the Pentagon, right? No, I was speaking as, a, as an American right. uh, when I said we. Um, well, they, the North Koreans are... Uh, informed by the consequent, what the way they look at it is that uh, Muammar Gaddafi, another tyrannical dictator uh, in Libya, gave up his weapons of mass destruction program, which he, you know, which he had had as an, as a deterrent, and ended up being assassinated. Saddam Hussein, it turned out, had also given up his weapons of mass destruction program. And he was assassinated. So they're very afraid that if they give up their weapons of mass destruction program, they too could be assassinated. So they want some form of formal agreement that they will not be assassinated. Uh, the United States military will not do, essentially, uh, re- subject them to, to what happened in Libya or Iraq. Uh, they want respect. So they want some form of normalization of relations with the international community. Uh, They want to uh, have us stop hindering their economic development, resume oil shipments there, increase food aid, and give them some degree of respect. That's what they want. And and they, they have stated consistently that they'd be willing to give up their missile development program and probably cap the nuclear program. I don't think in the short term there's any possibility that they would give up uh, an existential deterrent of a handful of nuclear weapons, because they're reasonably afraid. It, it seems like back in the 90s they made an agreement with the United States that uh, both sides more or less kept uh, until the United States decided they were in an axis of evil uh, and uh, were the enemy and there was no need to abide by agreements with them. And it it seems like the United States has recently made an agreement with Iran that was essentially, we won't attack you if you do these things with your nuclear energy program. Uh, And now the United States uh, president is saying, I don't care about abiding by that. how could we how could we be sure that an agreement between the US government and the North Korean government even if one were to be made that the North Korean government would would believe it hmm. well first the uh, the arrangement with Iran was not a, a an arrangement between the United States and Iran it is actually a security council resolution so uh, so the president of the United States saying he's going to renegotiate uh, 
that's very problematic as a as an American because uh, it it derides the United Nations uh, Charter, which gives the Security Council authority to to make uh, uh, resolutions that are binding on everyone in the world. So when the United States says we're going to renegotiate, it, it, it's in a sense saying uh, we're not going to uh, honor a Security Council resolution. And that, that to me is a huge problem. It's a constitutional problem because our Constitution uh, brilliantly states that treaties are the supreme law of the land. That's in uh, Article 6, Clause 2. So when our president uh, derides the treaty, like the United Nations Charter, it not only puts the rest of the world in a position of great fear, it puts it should put any serious American citizen in a position of profound concern that our own Constitution is, is being uh, derided. I think we have a trust deficit. I think in order to give North Korea confidence that we would live up to... Uh, live up to agreements. It would, it would take time. There's no, there's no quick solution. And similarly, by the way, uh, they're completely untrustworthy. They have lied. They have cheated. They have engaged in, probably engaged in building a nuclear uh, facility in Syria that the Israelis bombed. They've uh, shared missile technology with Pakistan. So they're completely untrustworthy as well. So Building trust between nations is not easy, but the alternative of trash talk leading to actually trashing millions of people's lives is not a wise course. I could not agree more. We're speaking with Jonathan Granoff, uh, who is uh, president of the Global Security Institute, among other things. And uh, just to be clear, the the U.S. has a half dozen wars going now in places like Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria, and they're all in violation of the U.N. Charter, as well as the Kellogg-Briand Pact, as far as uh, treaties that are the supreme law of the land in the United States, are they not? Um. That's, that's an interesting question, whether our counterterrorism wars are illegal uh, under U.S. law. Um, I, don't, I really don't want to go, I don't, I don't want to go into that in depth because all of these, 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 these uh, wars, some are not really wars. Some are uh, military incursions. They may be acts of war, but they haven't evolved into full-out wars. Wars take place between nations. These are uh, military actions against sub-state actors. So as a technical matter, they're not really wars. Um, but what I am concerned about, if you want to get in, in, into, into that, is the president of the United States threatened to annihilate, annihilate the people of North Korea. That's a reasonable interpretation of his fire fury language. And that isn't, that's a threat of genocide. That's, and that's, um, that's clearly illegal and out of bounds. There's a doctrine of international humanitarian law, which is the law of war. It's, it's sort of the, the lowest boundary of human activity is war, and this is the boundary of even that activity. And the United States military takes it seriously. If you read the manuals of our militaries, we, we don't, it is, it is our policy to abide by those uh, rules, which prohibit attacking civilians, which prohibit 
uh, excessive force beyond a specific military objective. And annihilating a country is completely outside of the boundary of the rules of, of, of war. And I'm sure that some of our military uh, legal experts were shocked when he said that. I was shocked when he said that. It's completely un-American. I don't know whether he meant what he said. I don't know whether he understood what he said. I don't know if it was, you know, like just basketball trash talk. Well, on other but occasions, he's used phrases like totally destroy. Uh, yes. Senator McCain's uh, phrase is exterminate. Um, I, I, I could give you, you know, dozens of more. Uh, I mean, it, 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 there, there was a question last year in a Republican presidential primary debate. Would you, as president of the United States, be willing to fulfill your basic duties and kill hundreds and thousands of innocent children? Uh, you know, this is this is. I would argue there's nothing more American and hasn't been since uh, the the founding of this country through genocide. Uh, it's it, it, it's you know it may be taken very seriously in writings by the U.S. military, but I would challenge you to find a war or a or a non-war war action uh, of the past decades or centuries uh, that has acted as if it took those concerns seriously. One of the reasons why we prevailed in the Cold War is that we took the moral high ground as much as any state in the modern era can. Really? And, uh, yeah, I mean, compared to, yeah, we never had gulags like Stalin. We never had extermination camps like Hitler. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, and and it's never been a state policy to engage in genocide as as other empires have done. Uh, you could argue that you could take the perspective of Native Americans that the entire American uh, venture of you know of of the United States is based on the genocide of the indigenous peoples. That wouldn't be a far fetched perspective. But on the other hand, we are the country that has propounded the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We are the country that's founded on the, on, the, on the magnetic compass point that all people are created equal. Uh, so, you know, the United States is uh, like anything in the world. It has its, its, its good and bad side. I want to be uh, a patriot and argue for the good side and push in the good direction, call us to our higher ideals. Uh, the four freedoms that Franklin Roosevelt inspired the world around that led to the creation of the United Nations system. These are the ideals that, that we still hold dear. Um, and I think there's enough Americans who, uh, certainly the American people, believe that any military engagement that we ever engage in is for the highest, most altruistic purposes. <laughs> and they do. That, 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 yeah, they do. And, you know, and that's just not real politics. But, uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to argue whether the, the whether our country is better than any other country. The fact is, there are universal principles uh, that allow us to live in in a relatively civilized era. It, we're not, we're you know, we're, we're you and I can talk openly right now. There are many countries you cannot do that. Um, but let's 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 talk about what the actual what the actual law says. The actual law of our country is that treaties are the supreme law of the land. Indeed. And uh, just because we violated them, you know, we shouldn't throw it out. It's like just because people commit murder, you don't throw out murder statutes. 
I think we need to hold our political leaders accountable uh, severely, more accountable than anybody else when they when they cross the line. Do you think that six million dead in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia was part of the moral high ground, or was it some some comments that were said about them not caring as much about dying being Asians that was I mean, where I'm looking for the moral high ground through the the Cold War because this is a new one for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know. The the Cold War was the Cold War was really uh, to some extent uh, a result of the uh, over the, of the overreaching of Stalin that uh, that Joseph Stalin did have gulags that Joseph Stalin did engage in mass killings and deportations and horrible things and um, and America instead of being brave and free responded with great fear and trepidation not understanding that the Soviet Empire was uh, was a very weak empire, and that as soon as Ronald Reagan and uh, and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev started talking to each other like human beings, and and realized that we're that that the that the Soviets were not demons, and they realized that we really didn't want to invade and destroy them, the Cold War ended. It was basically uh, when we started acting like human beings, we arrived at human solutions. And this is the something. Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was a. The Vietnam War was a. Uh, we kind of backed into it. It was. It was a colonialist war. I mean, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh's uh, inauguration speech was founded. If you, if, if anybody, you know, goes and hears it, it's amazing. It's founded on our Declaration of Independence. He wanted to model Vietnam on our constitutional democracy, and our response to him was bombing. It's a terrible, terrible thing that we did. Yeah, I didn't do it. Um, it Mikhail Gorbachev <laughs> has suggested. No, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not with you in the our country thing. I'm not yeah, identifying no, with a country it. here. I'm identifying with humanity. So the first person is is your first person, not mine. Uh, but Mikhail Gorbachev has suggested that as he successfully talked with Ronald Reagan. Uh, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin ought to try talking. Um, and, and Jimmy Carter has suggested that as he successfully negotiated with North Korea, uh, the U.S. government ought to. And, and he, by the way, has, has made friends with Donald Trump to some extent. Why can't Trump send him to talk with Kim Jong-un? Why, why, can't, why can't talking be tried with North Korea now? Well, I, I hope it is. The, the, you know, the curtain hasn't closed, and uh, let's hope that that, that there are that there, that there are talks going on um, at a lower level than what the press reports. And and I think that you know, sending President Carter over there that would be a brilliant thing to do. He's you know, he's a brilliant man. He still has he still has energy. He has wisdom. Uh, William Perry did a great job when he was Secretary of Defense. He could have he could have resolved it. Uh, but Rumsfeld and Cheney convinced uh, uh, President Bush to uh, scuttle, you know, to scuttle the progress that was being made. So, no, I couldn't agree more that uh, direct talks are exactly what's needed now, not not tomorrow, but today. And uh, the the fact that uh, the fact that uh, that our Secretary of State has said that he wants to pursue diplomacy, but 
then, then at the same time, he says that he's going to negotiate, but that the precondition is the concession of the other side to what you're demanding without giving them anything. That's not negotiation. That's not good faith negotiation. So it's incoherent. It's very difficult for the rest of the world to understand what America actually wants to achieve right now. This is true almost everywhere. I mean, look at our policy toward our allies in, in Europe. Uh, Stephen Bannon has made it clear that he wants to destroy the European Union. Uh, the president refused to explicitly affirm Article 5 of NATO, which is our, our military unity. And at the same time, uh, our Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State extol the virtues of the European Union and the strength of NATO. So our own allies are sitting there scratching their heads and saying, exactly what is the policy of the United States? This incoherence is very dangerous and very destabilizing, especially, especially when the United States um, makes, we make a big deal about uh, North Korea's testing nuclear weapons. Now, uh, and I think it is a big deal. I have to say it's a terrible thing that they're doing. They're a dangerous country. But they've only tested six times. We've tested over a thousand times. Um, we have over, we have thousands of nuclear weapons at the ready, on remaining on launch on warning. These thousands of weapons are subject to computer error, human error, and each day we live on the precipice of nuclear annihilation. The existential threat between the United States and Russia of our launch on warning hair trigger alert system remains as it did at the height of the Cold War. There have been numerous uh, computer errors that have a, you know, created the appearance of launches on one side and the other, and uh, there, there's inadequate time to reflect. I mean, uh, I just think of there was a weather satellite launched off the coast of Norway in 1995, and Boris Yeltsin had less than eight minutes to decide whether that was the first volley of a nuclear exchange, which would have been a... Uh, a high-altitude uh, uh, hydronuclear bomb exploding and, uh, and, and, and creating an electromagnetic pulse that would have fried their communication systems in Moscow and the rest of the country. And he just had a few minutes to decide. And imagine, imagine Donald Trump having a few minutes to decide whether a computer error that, uh, that, 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 that registers a Russian launch uh, is real or not. And these things have happened. There was, you know, there was one where we put a, uh, a, a computer chip that hadn't been programmed to distinguish between its first sunrise perception and a nuclear attack, and it looked like we were under attack. There's another instance in which uh, people put a training tape in, and, Briz and Brzezinski uh, was informed that we were under attack from the Soviet Union. It was simple, simple human error. Not so. So we sit here on the precipice of nuclear annihilation, and the American people are focused on North Korea. But the real threat that we face are the thousands of nuclear warheads pointed at us right now from Russia. So talking, absolutely, they should get down to the process of fulfilling the duty under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty to negotiate the elimination of nuclear weapons universally. That is a duty that, that it remains outstanding. It's a legal duty, and uh, we, we, we ignore it at our collective peril. 
Indeed. And, and last year, North Korea was the only nuclear nation in favor of creating a new treaty that has now been created and is in the process of being ratified around the world. Um, what, what I, I agree with everything you've said about you know, North Korea, nuclear weapons being a horrible thing, but, the, but putting it in terms of context, what, what exactly do you think is the threat from North Korea? Because I get emails every day saying, if you don't stop opposing wars, you better learn to speak North Korean. Uh, whatever that might be, uh, are you are you concerned that the North Koreans are going to invade and occupy a nation ten times its size, or what is the what is the, da- <laughs> the danger? Uh, the danger is that if we precipitate a, uh, aggression with North Korea, that they will attack South Korea, and. Uh, you know, in the area of Seoul, there's, you know, in the suburbs and the city, there's probably about 20 million people whose lives are at risk. Um, It's likely that they're on the verge of, or they have crossed the barrier of being able to deliver a nuclear bomb upon Tokyo. Uh, If, if, you know, uh, then there's the danger of um, the state of North Korea collapsing, and we don't really know exactly how many nuclear bombs they have. It's you know, experts experts uh, speculate between a dozen and sixty, but we do know that if you had a failed state, that it would be very difficult to to track what would happen to them, and that would be the great danger of a sub-state actor getting them. There's an ongoing danger that they need cash and they might sell them to somebody. Um, so, and and so if 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 you have a loose nuke or loose nukes out in the world that sub-state actors have. Uh, we call them terrorists, uh, that any city anywhere could could blow up, and that could take down the whole the whole stability of the international order. I mean, just imagine if a sub-state actor got a hold of one of these and blew up blew up any city and then said, we have one in a warehouse somewhere in, in, in Washington or New York, and these are our demands. The stock market would close. The stock market would 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 cause a economic collapse of the international order, and people would suffer enormously. And if they actually blew one up, the the trauma. I mean, we could just we could forget the Fourth Amendment. We could forget all of our civil liberties in the United States. So there's very very real dangers of the instability that we're living with right now, and I think it is imperative that. The president of the United States designates somebody with a with a cooler tongue to negotiate uh, both with North Korea and immediately begin uh, a joint enterprise with Russia on how to assure each each other that we don't need nuclear weapons to maintain our security. I mean, does anybody really want to like? Uh, in, nobody I know in America wants to invade Russia and take them over and. Uh, I've been over there and spoken with many people. They don't have any desire to take us over. So why are we pointing these nuclear weapons at each other and putting the whole world at risk? To quote quote Robert McNamara, who gained his sanity in his latter years, it's insane, and it's immoral, and it's illegal, and we have to change. On those points, I, I agree entirely. Jonathan Granoff, I wish we could go on. We're running out of time. Come could, I, could I just say, could I just end with something that I think is very pertinent? Ronald Reagan was absolutely correct when he said a nuclear war can never be won and therefore must never be fought. 120 nations 
in the United Nations this year have voted in support of a treaty prohibiting nuclear weapons. The International Court of Justice has unanimously ruled that there is a legal duty to negotiate the elimination of nuclear weapons. There is a legal duty under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty for the nuclear weapon states to negotiate the elimination of nuclear weapons. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.